0: Dark and dusty drapes Let in some light. Help come get my trunk cause I'm here tonight. Hey everybody, welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep in the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you tonight, Meryl McNally?
1: Excellent. How are you, Zach?
0: Good. We're wrapping up our COVID five. We did yeah. it. I mean, well, now we're, we've done it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're about to do it. Yeah.
1: We're about to, do it.
0: We're about to finish. Um, yeah. They said it couldn't be done, Meryl.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but here we are. Music of the Heart, uh, 1999 drama, music. We'll talk about it. But before we do, have you been watching anything? Have you been up to anything fun?
1: Well, as I told you, my mom is setting up an above ground pool in the backyard. <laughs> and that's been an adventure from hell for the last month.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> taking it down, putting it up, taking it down. This will be number three. <laughs> um, what else have I been, have I watched it? No, I really haven't. I rewatched Mad Max Fury Road because we were talking about it.
0: Mm, How did you find it?
1: Ah, God, I fucking love it. I love that (laughs) movie so much. I love it as much as I did in 2015. That's good. It's a little, I mean, it's a little hokey. But they lean into it. They know what they're doing.
0: Yeah, oh, for sure.
1: And you know what I think I like about it so much is that because it's actual stunts and real filming and for the most part not CGI, you can feel the the actual gravity yep. of the scenes as opposed to you know CGI fests and I just it's just so exciting Yeah, and also at least Theron is my hero she has a new movie coming out on Netflix in July. Really? What yeah. is it? It seems to be a take on vampires only I'm not sure they're actually vampires these this team of um, Badass people just seem to live forever, but they're like the old guard. Huh. A covert team of immortal mercenaries are suddenly exposed and must now fight to keep their identity a secret. And you know what? That sounds so hokey. And then you watch the trailer with Charlize Theron and you're like, yeah, I'm in.
0: Sure. Huh. Okay. Mm I have to check it out. She is one who surprises me. Uh, Like everything I've seen her in i've really enjoyed her in like i think she's she's a huge star so it's tough to say she's underrated but i think like she's a really good actress and doesn't always get credit for like how good an actress she is it's always about like how attractive she is in a way you know
1: and i have also yet to see bombshell where she appears to be eerily similar to megan kelly
0: yeah it's a it's a really great performance it's a tough sit-through i actually did watch it again when it came out um on you know originally on dvd several months ago i feel like they came out in january or so um and i watched it then again boy it's tough i mean there are a couple scenes it's not it's not torturous but there are just a couple scenes with roger Ailes who plays john lithgow and he just i don't know he was a real creep that guy but
1: roger Ailes plays john lithgow <laughs> <laughs>
0: is that what i said did i get it yeah. backwards
1: <laughs> uh-huh. John Lithgow appreciates that.
0: (laughs) Actually, John Lithgow might appreciate that. I think he would find that funny. (laughs) He would. (laughs) Um, Yeah. No, he played. He played Roger Eason. Did a damn good job. But yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, anything else that you've been watching?
1: No, that's
0: it. How about you? Um, I I started watching. the Well, okay, so I watched that Dark Waters movie. Do you remember that movie that came out this last year with Mark Ruffalo and Anne Hathaway and Bill Pullman and a couple other folks?
1: Yes, I have not seen it, but I've heard it's good. Yeah,
0: it is good. I feel a little bit more um kind of tepid about it than I expected to. I thought I would like, like it a little bit more than I do, but I, I thought it was very good. I didn't find it quite as engaging as some of the other, like, courtroom thrillers that i've seen um but it's good it's very good mark ruffalo is great in it Um a lot of the other roles are very small he's kind of really front and center in it um it's got a lot of the like uh you know kind of aaron brockovich without the aaron brockovich character it's a similar like environmental corruption story and legal battle you know um, so good. I, I would give it a. I for sure would give it a recommendation. I don't think it's the greatest thing I've ever seen, but it's it's very good. Um, and other than that, I've been watching lately the uh, same thing that it seems like everybody's watching, which is the the uh, this is great for a Meryl Streep podcast. This will play really well. But the uh, Michael Jordan Last Dance documentary series that ESPN has feel
1: awesome. like everybody's
0: been watching it.
1: I have not watched the whole thing I've been watching since my dad's been watching it, and I, every time I sit down, I get sucked in. He's just great. <laughs>
0: it's it's interesting. I mean, I'm not a basketball person at all. Um, I'm a big baseball person. Uh, but I, you know, growing up not that far from Chicago, um in the era of Michael Jordan. I mean, like the one thing during that era is like we knew that he was the greatest. I mean, there was no question about it. Like we were, we were seeing probably the greatest that will ever play basketball. And we like, we had front row seats for that, you know, like we saw that as kids. And so I appreciate that. I will say the documentary is, so there are 10 episodes, which is maybe two or three too many. Cause I mean, there's, (laughs) there's a certain amount of like, just kind of the same things over and over where they'll just interview a player and you're like, well, We couldn't stop him that day or, you know, like he turned it up. Well, great. He had another incredible game, you know, It, it basically like they should just show one of the episodes should just be like an hour of his greatest shots or something, because it's just it's, you know, I find it more interesting. Some of the you know, personality conflicts that he got into and some of the, you know, Mm -hmm. some of the stuff he had to endure as a person being like the most famous person in the world, you know, but the footage that they have from that period is really amazing. Like it's unbelievable footage.
1: Yeah, it really is. From what I've seen, it's great. I, I need to watch the whole thing.
0: It's just like a camera crew is following you around for, you know, 20 years. And then, you know, once you're kind of like not front and center, they decide to make this documentary about you or something, you know, like it's kind of wild. Think
1: he, I think he produced it, right?
0: I don't know. I I would believe it.
1: Um, don't take my word for it, listeners. But it was told to me, and I have not confirmed this, that he actually produced this and has been sitting on it for some time. Hmm. That it was made quite a while ago and that he's releasing it. Um, I don't know how accurate that is. I would have to do my research. So don't take me at one word.
0: Well, um, and it, it's not explicitly about him it's called the last dance we should say what it is in case people want to check it out it's a it's an espn documentary i think it's going to be on netflix though um or maybe already is but i think it's coming to netflix if it's not already there but so it's not explicitly about him so much as it is about that era of the chicago bulls and like the dream team um all of that but it's basically about michael jordan (laughs) you know uh so anyway uh so that's what i've been watching Besides Music of the Heart.
1: I know, right?
0: Yeah. Shall we dive in?
1: Let's do it. All
0: right. Shall we start with a plot synopsis?
1: Yes. Music of the Heart is about a real-life violin teacher in the public school system in Harlem, which is um, a neighborhood in Manhattan, upper east side of Manhattan, and her name is Roberta Gaspari. And when her husband, played by Meryl Streep in the film, when her husband divorces her, she's looking for a job and she finds a school, a, a, a job as a substitute teacher at this school in East Harlem as a violin teacher. And um, the film is really sort of, if, I would say the film is split in half, that the first half is really about. Like her getting her feet under her after her divorce and trying to support her two young sons. And then the second half skips ahead 10 years later after she sort of established this amazing violin program um, in the school. And um, it gets put at risk because there are budget cuts. So the second half of the film is really about her getting support to uh, fund the program.
0: The it you're right it could have been like there's that it's at like literally an hour I, I I checked the time because it's like a false ending yeah it feels like oh this is the end of the movie and oh no this is halfway you know they it it felt like it could have been episodes of a TV show or something you know
1: yeah I think you know we always talk about we like and dislike I don't want to jump straight into what I dislike about this film but it is. It is a little uneven in that way. It it, it it couldn't decide whether it was going to be a personal perseverance story or a, um, you know, save the team kind of story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's go there. What, have you seen this movie before? And if so, how did it hold up from the last time?
1: You know what? I remembered liking it when I saw it. I saw it when it came out in 99. I have not seen it since. I remember liking it. I don't really remember much about it. I don't tend to like feel good movies like this. It's like bordering into, um, um, sports movies. Oh, sure. Um, oh, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but we all know what I'm talking about, right? Like Hoosiers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) um, I don't tend to gravitate towards those movies. It's sort of funny when you force me to sit down and watch them. I always enjoy them. Like who does not enjoy Rudy? Right. But if you ask me if I want to watch it, I'm like, absolutely not. (laughs) Um, So it sort of falls in that category. It's like feel good, inspirational, but not really my jam. And, um, but I found myself getting a little teary eyed because it's, you know, it's inspiring. Yeah, totally. Bringing the arts and music to kids is inspiring. It's amazing. Totally. I I definitely shed a a tear or two, and I I enjoyed it. It's a little uneven, but it's made with, you can tell it's made with love, and it's kind of very similar to First Do No Harm in that way. Sure. How about you? What do you think of it?
0: I I gotta admit, I really love this movie. (laughs) Um, I... I am a musician. I am a music teacher. I went to college as a violinist. So, you know, there are things I can relate to.
1: Definitely.
0: Um, I'm not anywhere near the teacher that, you know, Roberta Gaspari is and that Merrill plays, um, nor have I ever been put in those circumstances. I did teach at like the complete opposite end of the spectrum. I played uh, right after college. Well, actually, right after college, I did a six month tour with with a Show. I was in a musical that toured the country for six months. But then after that, I taught for a year and a half um, at a private K through 12 school in my hometown where <laughs> it was like the richety, richety, rich, rich, rich people. So the exact opposite of this. Um, my favorite story from, from that period of time was, um, I was standing with the theater teacher by the doors one day during uh, like lunch. I was just, we were just talking in the hallway and there were like four pizza delivery people there, and like students were going and picking up the pizza and paying. And I was like, What is going on with the pizzas today? I was like, Is today some sort of special day? And she goes, No, they just, you know, they like trade off. They'll, you know, like one person will pay for pizza one day, and then the next person will pay for pizza the other day. It's just friends do that. And I was like, Wait, so the kids can just order pizza? And she's like, Yeah, they do it all the time. And I was like, But they're kids. I was like, These kids are like, 10 years old. How do they have money to order pizza? And she looked at me dead in the eyes and so serious, said, You don't understand, Zach. She was like, A lot of these kids, their weekly allowance is more than you and I make in a week. And I'm not kidding about that. I was like, oh shit.
1: Like, oh my God. Yeah.
0: So anyway, her and I did not have the same experience teaching,
1: (laughs) but I did my best in
0: a different way, trying to reach kids who, you know. Yeah. you know had no reason to care in a, for different reasons anyway anyway it doesn't matter what my experience was but um I love I love this movie I also have to say I think the the shades of personality that we get to see Meryl play in this movie it's really like she really covers so much ground in this movie that I just love to see like in some of these scenes it's just you know she's yelling at the kids and you see that like intense, you know, just drive, 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 and then they'll tell you, like, oh, my grandmother got mugged and she she was killed, and then you have to see her soften and feel so bad for the kids. And, like, just, I don't know. You get to see it all. So much range in this movie. And I feel like this was the period where that late 90s she was nominated the year before for one true thing and then she was nominated for this and i feel like those are the movies that sometimes people are like oh she shouldn't have been nominated for those movies um i think these are really strong uh well this one anyway i guess we haven't done one true thing but i i remember really liking that one too and i just think this is really really good like she's, you know, it's not its not a perfect movie by any stretch, but I suspect this is probably going to rate higher on my list than uh, most people would expect to. I, I really think it's a good movie and a good and performance.
1: Her performance is outstanding. Her performance is going to rank super high for me. Film wise, I think because I've had experience teaching kids too, it is so inspiring, right? Yeah kids are phenomenal. They're the, they're the greatest creatures on the planet <laughs> to have in a teaching space, especially if they love what you're teaching them. And if you can make it, and if you can bring that love, right? If you can bring them into the love of the thing, that's really yeah. amazing. I think the first part of the film is so focused on her personal struggles. And I'm not sure if I have a solution to this as I say this, but... Yeah that the the classroom stuff is quite benign and they'll like throw in a hardship here and there for us to know that it's happening, but it doesn't feel like the focus of the film so that when we get to the second half and the program is in trouble, it really hasn't been earned in the film. And, and so, I mean, can you imagine being a music teacher in a public school elementary school in Harlem and garner enough support from new internationally famous musicians to get your students on stage at Carnegie Hall to raise enough money to support your program for 3 years. I mean it's astounding if you just think of that alone. Right. And it's it's not the movie I don't I don't know about you but the movie didn't quite make me feel that. I felt it because I have enough relationship, one to New York and to the arts and to teaching kids that I could sort of like generate that emotion for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't feel like the film did a great job of getting us there.
0: Um, This was directed by Wes Craven. This was like his first non-horror movie Um, And I I do want to mention that it's based on a documentary called Small Wonders, which if you buy the DVD, which I have, is also included on a, there's two discs and the documentary is uh, the other one. I meant to, I've seen, it's good. I I didn't watch it specifically again for this. I did watch it like when a long time ago when I first got the DVD, Um, but so i should watch it again i did mean to there's also a, a commentary track that i meant to uh, listen to for this one um but yeah this this one is uh, an interesting one if i'm remembering correct uh i believe this was being developed with madonna yeah she was supposed to play the roberta gaspari and then dropped out like relatively close to the filming. It was just a few weeks and Meryl stepped in and she practiced like eight hours a day. Um, so yeah, Madonna was supposed to uh, do it, but let's see. She left it before filming began, citing creative differences with Wes Craven. She had already studied for a while to play the violin. So she Meryl then learned to play the Bach concerto for two violins, which is the piece at the very end. Um, so yeah interesting interesting how did you feel about wes craven's direction in this one
1: i liked it i honestly didn't notice it um if that makes sense it's Mm -hmm. perfectly serviceable it's good it's fine (laughs) i mean i don't know i think um
0: so he can handle the change in genres
1: if you didn't notice
0: it that's probably good
1: didn't there were uh, I noticed one major editing snafu like bad and uh, that that could be a directing thing that could definitely be an editing thing and they just didn't have the footage they needed I don't know did you notice it
0: I didn't where where are you talking about
1: It's towards the beginning of the film she's staying at Aiden Quinn's house Aiden Quinn plays a former high school classmate of hers right yeah, and they so, reconnect yeah. after her divorce and he helps her kind of get her feet under her in New York and she's staying with him and she's sitting in the bedroom she's staying in and she puts three like orange orange juice can rollers in in her hair on, um, on the left side of her head, and he comes in, and they have a whole discussion and an interaction, and they're, you know, they're going to start a romantic relationship, and she pulls away from him, and the curlers are gone. These, like, giant, massive curlers in her hair are just gone for the second half of the scene. And I I actually were wound to see if through editing, I missed, maybe, like, missed a physical action. No. No, I didn't. It was It was wow. just... Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he, I mean, I think he handled it well.
0: Yeah, I thought he did a pretty nice job overall. There were, um, on the DVD, there are a couple of, I guess it's two deleted scenes, um, and one of them, was kind of interesting. So the whole storyline with the deleted scene was uh, her youngest son has his bike stolen. And so she doesn't just do, they live in a, she insists on living in the part of town that she's teaching in, meaning that she's maybe not in the greatest neighborhood to live in. And um, so she decides she's going to go to the person's house who has stolen her bike and demand it back. And so there's this, there's a couple deleted scenes, um, one of which has her like walking up the stairs to get to this apartment in this kind of very rundown home. And there's almost like horror elements in that, like, you know, seeing her come up the stairs. It's definitely the most Wes Craven scene, (laughs) but of course it didn't make the final cut of the movie.
1: I got the sense, I could be very wrong, but I got this sense watching the film that the creative team, and it was 1999, but that the creative team really didn't know how to dig into the issue of socioeconomics and race. Uh-huh. And so they just treaded very lightly around it. Like they dealt with it a little bit here and there, but not really. And, and I think that's part of why it doesn't have necessarily the weight um, that I wanted behind it. And I don't, you know, I don't know what that would ultimately look like. So much was packed into this movie, which is po- probably part of the problem. Um, a lot happens. A lot. And they were covering a lot of ground
0: yeah there there's kind of a lot so early on in the film as you say she's going through some personal turmoil so she's recently been divorced her husband has well actually i shouldn't say divorced her husband has left her for another woman and uh so she's kind of staying with her mom played by Cloris leachman temporarily with her two um sons and um she's just kind of she's kind of a I don't want to say a doormat, but she's, you know, willing to take her husband back is basically saying like, are you done with her yet? Are you ready to come back? Uh, You know, kind of like I'll take you back. No questions asked kind of policy, which is, you know, not the, not the Roberta we see later in the movie for sure. And we have that going on and then she takes this, this job, um, where she kind of finds who she is and kind of like develops this, Persona, you know this this life uh, through music, and um, you know there were a couple other movies around the same time. Like Mr. Holland's Opus had been out around the same time. I feel like there was one or two other ones around the same time where it was like the teacher inspiring everybody, cliche kind of thing. Um, So I don't know. It's it's not, but it also is based on a true story. You know, this is a real person.
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, it's clear they were trying to do service to her story because it really is so impressive and she's an amazing woman. And then also, you know, they're inextricably linked, you know, what what went on with the violin program and her. So I see why they chose to cover the material they did. I will say that I was a little confused. It took me a while to figure out that she was actually Italian. Ah, okay. And I would... And then I found myself really wishing that an Italian woman had been able to play Roberta Caspari because she was full blooded Italian. And then I read about you know Madonna backing out and the last minute casting, so that made a little bit more sense. But yeah, I think I think I wished an Italian had played her. Yeah,
0: and it's interesting that she didn't like it wasn't. This was just what four years after Bridges of Madison County, right where Meryl had played like a. You know, Italian woman who still had that like heavy Italian accent. So it's interesting that she didn't kind of play her a little bit more Italian.
1: Yeah, yeah she really didn't. And I think, costuming-wise, they really didn't lean into that um, with like hair color. Um, I don't know.
0: Um, I recently on um, Audible. This is a pretty. This is a pretty dorky admission, but I I listened on Audible to this book. I think it's called. 1999, The Greatest Year of Cinema. And it goes into all the movies that were released that year, which included, among many, many others, like American Beauty, Magnolia, The Green Mile, Cider House Rules, Being John Malkovich, uh, Boys Don't Cry, Girl Interrupted, uh, The Sixth Sense, The Hurricane, The Insider Man on the Moon, Tumbleweeds, The End of the Affair, like all all these pretty... Incredible movies in the scheme of things, and um, this is one. You know, it, it came out that year, and it got a. You know, Meryl was nominated at the Academy Awards, at the Golden Globes, at the Screen Actors Guild Awards, and yet it might be one of the lesser known movies from that year. All things considered.
1: Yeah, really. I mean, that's just, a massive year. Massive. Oh,
0: it's. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. the The movies that came out. That's that's like I said. That's some of the movies that came out that year. It's it really is a pretty incredible year. That was when you and I were in late high school. So I was like, that was for me, like formative years. And like when I really kind of became obsessed with movies. So you can imagine that, you know, that was a great time to, to become obsessed with movies. Those movies, just all of them. I remember seeing them and having them just, it it just seems so limitless then, you Mm -hmm. know, and that was before, actually, I think that's when maybe the first Matrix movie came out too maybe or one of them I don't know
1: there for sure
0: yeah um where you know I always think of that as like creatively and digitally one of the kind of shifts but you know like there was just so much going on you know and like a movie you could go to every weekend at that point remember going to movies
1: Meryl it was so great and fun (laughs) I miss it. The other day I woke up, I was like, I'd really like to go to a movie theater
0: today. I, you know, they've been saying with Netflix and, you know, video on demand and all of this stuff that movie theaters have been having a lot of issues anyway. And I mean, I certainly have not seen before this happened. I I feel like I went to see movies where there were fewer people in it than than normal, too. But um, yeah, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see if movies really come back, you know, in the same way.
1: I will say that I am irrationally excited for the Top Gun sequel, and I'm seeing that as someone who was so disgusted they were making it in the first place. I am a huge fan of Top Gun for several, several reasons, and (laughs) not all of them because it's a, like, it's a fantastic movie and sometimes not on purpose. (laughs) if you know what I mean. And um, I've just been, I was super skeptical about any sort of sequel. And then I saw the preview for it, and I'm like a little kid. Like I want to go sit front row. Because he's Tom Cruise, he managed to get the Air Force to agree to train the actors to actually go up in the jets. So the filming in the jets is not CGI, it's not special effects, it's actually happening. Yeah. Which is bonkers. And I, it looks so good. And there are lady pilots now. And if I, I think I'm going to actually be so, so sad if I can't sit in a movie theater to enjoy that movie.
0: Yeah. It'll, it'll come back. I think, I mean, that one's positioned to be late summer, right? Or did they move it to Christmas?
1: It was July. I don't, I haven't checked to see what they've done.
0: I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if movie theaters come back for, like, the summer and then have to go, you know, dark again for a little while. But we'll see, we'll see what happens. But I am excited to to talk about, because I might have revisited it very recently. We're doing an Angela Bassett, Bassett tribute mm-hmm. episode next. And uh, speaking of Tom Cruise, the most recent Mission Impossible and those insane, amazing stunts. Like, I just think it's the best. I can't oh, okay. imagine seeing a movie that's better than that. Like, in terms of, like stunts I feel like that movie is going to be watched for years and years and like holy shit they actually did this you know okay. so yeah I can only imagine what Top Gun the new Top Gun to me when I saw it was just like oh they're basically making another Mission Impossible movie and just calling it Top Gun
1: <laughs> yeah yeah Goose's son is a pilot now shocking plot line and, and Maverick is an instructor also yeah. shocking plot line. Also, not shocking that Kelly McGillis has been replaced with Jennifer Connelly. (laughs) I'm like, this is so Hollywood. But I can't help it. I'm excited to see it anyway.
0: Yeah, there are some choices there. It is what it is. But anyway, Music of the Heart.
1: (laughs) No, right? This is a Music of the Heart podcast, guys. Yes. Pop Gun, Music of the Heart, they have things in common.
0: They do. Well, they have Angela Bassett in common. So let's start there. Um, Angela Bassett plays. I keep saying her name weird. I've forgotten how to say her name. I keep saying Bassett. Angela Bassett. (laughs) Angela Bassett plays the um, principal at her school and so kind of starts out not really wanting to hire her and, um, you know, feeling a little bit like, you know, I'm not sure that this is the right fit and Roberta kind of bullies her way into the job uh, and becomes, you know, a very integral part of uh, the family and the community there. And then is so beloved that, you know, everybody wants, all of the other teachers want their kids in her classes and, you know, like she's there for years and years. So uh, it's a nice performance from Angela Bassett, I thought. I wish they they had found more for her to do, I guess, but...
1: More interaction with her and Meryl Streep because honestly, they're both so amazing. Mm-hmm. Just, I wanted more time with them both. And I'll, yeah, and like the sense that, she, you know, when she says lines with, I've been by your side the last 10 years, but I don't have any control here. Like, yeah, I just didn't. I'm like, have you been? I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That is true. You really only see them in kind of like scenes of chaos and kind of when they're not really buddy-buddy and then all of a sudden they're buddy-buddy. I did like the scene where there are a couple of things that I just remember. I don't know if it's because I'm a male teacher or if it's because the times have changed so much, but like the idea that. Yeah. Meryl goes to her students' apartments and is, like, alone with them in the bedroom. I would never in a million years, A, do that, but also get away with that. You know what I mean?
1: Shoving her students in class to knock that them too. off their feet. I was like, oh, my God.
0: Yeah. Although... I mean, when we were in high school, that, um, all, I, I don't know, my, my violin teacher growing up always asked me permission if she could touch me. So, so right beforehand, she would be like, can I, can I touch you? And she would like adjust physically, which is an important part of violin more so than other instruments, actually. Um, and it was one of those things where I was like, I was too nervous to just say like, can I just say yes now and have it apply all the time instead of you asking me every week? Because like it really started to feel like really strange after a while to me, it was just like, yes, I trust it. You're not going to molest me. You know what I mean? Like I I'm comfortable with you now there's it's okay. Um, But you know, so yeah, she probably wouldn't have gotten away with that. I also had teachers who, I mean, when we went to school, there were a lot of things that our teachers did that you couldn't get away with now for sure. You know, so yeah. I don't know. It's it's a different time.
1: Definitely. That would have been something absolutely the norm when I was growing up. Me too. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, we're the same age. So yes, of course that would have been true. But we had, yeah, we had essentially similar experiences. Yeah. We could get into that, but I guess that's, that's not um, a huge thing, but I, I do think, yeah, that she's probably, she probably runs her program a little bit differently now. Um, but I, you know, I would, I would think. Um, there are a couple other folks who uh, appear in this movie. Aiden Quinn. How did you feel about Aiden Quinn's performance in this movie?
1: I just love Aiden Quinn and anything he does. I mean, he plays a bit of an asshole in this movie. Really? Like from the get, you're like, what? What is this? What? <laughs> um, and I'm really glad that the story went where it did because, I didn't. I didn't remember that she sends him packing, and so I just thought that this was like sort of put in there as the norm. Mm-hmm. And he kind of gaslights her the night after they've been together, and then takes off to <laughs> to interview migrant workers for two months, and then tells her, as a quote, "You're so stupid," because she hired. She didn't hire a contractor to do her house. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God. Um, but he was great. I love him and everything.
0: Yeah, he is good in this movie. Yeah, he's not the most likable person. I will say, I, I'm jumping ahead because we usually ask, what's your favorite Meryl scene in this movie? And this relates to my my favorite. And this is actually the scene when she breaks up with him and fires all of those contractors. I love her in that scene.
1: It's so good. I love it. She looks at him. She goes, and you're fired, too. <laughs> yeah. She fires
0: to each, to each of the contractors. It she goes around the room and turns off each of their radios and is confused why there's music coming from another radio across the room. So goes off to turn that one. There's another radio. So goes to turn off a third one. And one of the, one of the guys has fallen asleep. So she kicks him out. Then, you know, the other guys, she kicks them out. She throws, she throws something through her own window. And I, this is why she's so good. Her reaction to it is like, Oh shit. Like I wasn't, I, I believed in that moment. Like Meryl wasn't supposed to break that window. Yeah.
1: Totally, it was so good. It's one of my favorite scenes too.
0: Oh, she's so good in them. Yeah, she's so good in this whole movie. She's. uh, This is I. I'm telling you, this is one of her more underrated performances. I think this is just not on the list of. Like, when you think of Meryl Street performances, Meryl Street movies, I don't think this is really in anybody's top 20. And I think it should be. It's really good. Revisit this one. It's it's also, it might be a little bit long. This one is like two hours, three minutes or something. I'm not sure really where they could have made cuts. Like, it's kind of all important. But I feel like they probably could have chopped 10, 15 minutes out of there somewhere, you know? But with the exception, without, you know, outside of it being... A full two hours. I really think this is a really good movie.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't. I don't think the. I think people don't remember it as one of her best performances because I don't think the movie matches the performance in terms of just fluidity and 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 nuance. You know what else I noticed, and this is probably because I just took a sound class, is that the kids concert at the end? I, I don't know if this happened for you because you're a violin player, but I'm looking. Very young children on stage, and this music sounds so produced that I don't believe that these young kids, are, like obviously Itzhak Perlman and Isaac Stern, are are making beautiful music and they play themselves. But I I had a I just had a big question mark because it sounds so produced, but there were no mics on stage, and it was just straight violin playing. So I went and listened to the actual concert they have a YouTube video of the 1993 benefit concert of the kids on stage. And mm-hmm. I, I really recommend everybody go listen to that because the sound quality is so stunning in Carnegie. And it really does sound that good. And I think, I think it was because in post-production we lost that sense of a live performance. So mm-hmm. it sounds too produced.
0: Yep, I totally get what you're saying. When I was in high school, not to digress again, um, Mm -hmm. I went with a group of friends, one of whom uh, my friend Annie uh, is, I think, and certainly was at the time, really into dance. And we went to see, I don't know if it was Save the Last Dance or there was a bunch of like dance movies that came out at the time. And so she wanted to go see that one of those movies. And so we did. And. Uh, you know, none of the rest of us, it was like her and then me and two, like two other guys, it was, you know, like three or four guys and then her, and she was the only one who wanted to go see this movie, but she really wanted to see this movie. And so we went and, um, it was one of those things where we were all kind of like, yeah, that movie was all right. And she was so mad and she was like, she wasn't doing those moves. The moves were totally wrong. And this was, this was wrong. And this was peaceful. Yeah. It was, and I, like, as somebody who doesn't know anything about dance, I didn't know anything. You know, like, I I was none the wiser. And that is always how I feel about movies in which somebody is playing an instrument, in particular the violin or the cello or the viola. Specifically because the bow movement makes it so easy to tell if you are a musician or even know a little bit about music. The bow direction does not, in this movie, sync up most of the time with... The notes that you're hearing which is kind of what you're saying yep. and yet um it is one of those things where we know that Merrill practiced she by all accounts like became quite a good violinist at the time which of course knowing her I fully believe and like you say it's different um at the the very end scene when all the great you know all the great violinists are up there it's the same issue it doesn't look like they're really playing either but you know they are so it's yeah. just an editing thing it's nothing other than that it's it's the sound and the the video i guess aren't synced up in the in the proper way and i that seems like an elementary mistake and yet it probably is also one of those things where um, you know, they figure nobody except for, like, other violinists would notice. And yet, like, that doesn't seem like a great kind of philosophy because, like, this movie, ap- you know, will appeal to musicians more so than any other demographic, I would assume.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I noticed, too, in the Carnegie concert, in the 1993 concert, um, the kids were older. They're all older. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's yeah. anybody on stage under 12. Which makes more sense with the piece they were playing. It's very challenging. Like there there's just just no way a second grader got up on stage unless they're a prodigy. (laughs) At least in my mind. I don't know. You're the violinist, you can tell me. I just I think the age demographic of who landed on stage for the film also threw me off a little bit.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think that was as much for storytelling as it was for the playing of that piece, because it was about the kind of alumni of her program coming back. That piece is a very, you know, you probably know that piece. It's the Bach Devil Violin Concerto D, And it's so I like, if you start in Suzuki, so I started Suzuki violin school when I was in first grade, just because I went to an arts elementary school. Mm -hmm. Um, I would have gotten to that piece probably in like sixth grade, seventh grade. So not super old by any stretch, but that also is because, you know, I was taking private lessons and practicing every day. You know what I mean? Like not every sixth or seventh grader would get to that piece.
1: It's just because And that makes sense. That was really the youngest on stage for the actual concert. And, and in the yeah. film, there's quite a few younger younger kids in there, it seems. Yeah. It's just, yeah. that's all, like, really tiny stuff. It just ends up adding up to sort mm-hmm. of lose emotional traction.
0: Yeah, it's, it's I don't know, I guess that that is the one thing that really did take me out of the movie. But I guess that's not, that's this is far in away Yeah. I mean, like this is not the only movie that that's ever happened to. It's almost right. impossible unless you're actually recording it live in a single take, which of course they don't really do in movies. Yeah. It's not going to work that way, you know? Mm. And, um, you, you can tell that it's real, the sound is probably really them playing. It's just not the same take that was used yeah. from the full thing. I don't know. It's just, it is a little bit disappointing though. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, what about the other, the other person? So there are a couple other people who uh, we should mention in here. Gloria Stefan is in this movie. Jane leaves from Frasier makes a quick appearance in there as well.
1: With a very uh, distinct accent. Yes. I was like, uh, is that? where are you from?
0: <laughs> <laughs> but more more uh nor, more notably than them is Cloris leachman as her mom speaking of people who are really underused in this movie she got like three scenes in this movie
1: know. it was sort of reminiscent of the mom she plays in spanglish and um i god i just utterly adore her in that movie i just utterly adore Cloris leachman she's great in this and i love her chemistry with meryl Yeah, where I again, like Angela Bassett, I wanted more. Yeah,
0: this movie, uh, the budget for this movie was twenty seven million and it made about 15 at the box office. So it was not really a success. Did you uh, when Harvey Weinstein's name came across the screen at the very beginning? Did you take note of that?
1: Yeah, Uh, it's hard. There's an entire canon of, of, you know amazing films that are part of film history that have his name on it and it's just it just makes me so angry with him. Yep. I mean, I'm obviously angry for what he did <laughs> like first and foremost, but it's tainted so much. Ugh, gross. Yeah. I guess it was um, a three-picture deal with Wes Craven where two were horror films and then he got to pick a third.
0: And this was, this was like, a, I uh, I mean, I, I did appreciate that. Like at the movie, there was like a link or like giving you information to where you could donate to her program, which at the time was still running. I guess I should know if it's still going or not. Um, um but you know, it may
1: reinstated, I think. Yeah. In 1999. I think it's still going. I don't think the foundation they set up or were using is still active. I think it's part of a greater community, like Community 501c3, I'm not positive. I'd have to look. Okay.
0: This is, just speaking of release and all that you know, box office information, it was released on, a, kind of ironically for a Wes Craven movie, it was released on Halloween weekend. It was released on October 29th, which is not really great timing, actually.
1: Not. It's not, and especially if you hear Wes Craven is coming out with a new movie, that's a little misleading.
0: Yeah, so it it opened at number five that weekend. Okay. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe if it had opened, you know, closer to Christmas time, maybe it would have done better or something. I don't know.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: Who knows? Who knows? Mm -hmm. Um yeah, I just I think this is a really underrated one. I really really like this movie a lot.
1: I, I um, a lot about it in this podcast. It's very nitpicky because it's an enjoyable watch. This is not a messy film <laughs> by any means. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Meryl Streep's performance is amazing. I think almost everybody else is underutilized. Um, but that's really has a lot to do with the fact they had to pack a lot into two hours. Um, also Gloria Estefan, pretty underutilized. Oh yeah. And And there were scenes with her daughter that went bye-bye.
0: And Gloria Estefan, actually, I think she, they said that she basically just, you know, I mean, she was a huge star, especially at the time was a really, Mm -hmm. you know, like very well-known music star. And, um, she and Insync sing the theme song from this movie, which was also nominated for an Oscar. Um, Yep. But I think she's really natural on screen, like she's she's really comfortable
1: yeah i wanted I wanted to watch her more. she's also just stunningly beautiful she's
0: well, just... there's just something about we keep talking about this I can't remember who we were talking about this last time, but like uh, who doesn't like Gloria Stefan, you know what I mean like she just seems like a really cool person,
1: right uh. Oh.
0: She just seems cool, so um, I thought she was good, and I like. To- I just thought she was really natural on screen. I just like. I mean, that's got to be crazy to be in your first movie with Meryl Streep, and like in scenes with Meryl Streep, your first movie. I don't care how big a star you are. That's got to be weird, you know. Yeah,
1: and and so I felt like she totally her own. She totally did. Yeah,
0: yeah she was um, great. By the way. Uh, this is a little bit of a di- uh, digression, but it, this reminded me of something. There was some Merrill slight Meryl news, like tangential Meryl news. Did you hear that uh, Reese Witherspoon and Laura Dern did like some sort of online conversation where they were just like answering questions from people? No. Did you hear about this? Mm. They somebody I, or at least one person. It sounded like multiple people asked them about Big Little Lies and if there was a possibility of them doing season three, and she said they are they all want to do it. They're just trying to find a good idea for it.
1: Oh, that's amazing.
0: So it sounds like, I mean, like they didn't specifically say whether Meryl, I, like it would be easy for that character to be just kind of like removed from it and to continue the story without her. I feel like it would be easy enough to continue it with her as well. But the, uh-huh. the reason this made headlines was because they uh, were then asked, you know, somebody said, well, who do you guys want to join the next season? And Reese Witherspoon and Laura Dern threw out a bunch of names. Uh, but Jennifer Lopez and Ice Cube were the two <laughs> who were mentioned. as like we want them to be part of it. But then I think there were other folks like um, actually, I think I think uh, Reese Witherspoon might have mentioned Beyonce. So Ooh. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, at a certain point, you start going that direction, and, like, does it become just, like, the, like, who can be the biggest star on the planet? You know what I mean? Like, maybe that's right. taking it in a direction where it's, like, stunt casting instead of, like, I don't know.
1: Right. Anyway. You know, speaking of other Merrill News,
0: uh-huh.
1: I said to you on Instagram. I don't know if you saw it. Taika I what yes. is doing... Um, I what is it? Weekly readings with celebrities of James and the Giant Peach for Partners in Health, and non, it's a global health nonprofit organization. And Meryl uh, Streep and Benedict Cumberbatch read a chapter, and um, it's super cute. You guys should look it up.
0: So I don't know if you realize this, but okay. So I'm holding some of these episodes here because it takes me a while to edit things. So for our listeners, it was before that was announced. That you said like two episodes ago that if there was a director you wanted Meryl to work with, it would be him. Oh, and it yeah. was like the next day that was announced. <laughs> that is the second time that's happened, Meryl, because we were talking about little women at one point. And then like two days later it was announced she was doing little women.
1: Yeah. So Absolutely.
0: I don't know what your I don't know what your third time the charm is, but like, think of something good, manifest yeah. it out into the world, because you make it happen.
1: That she's working with me. That's what I'm going to do. There
0: you go. <laughs> Ask, say say you want her to sing a song with me on the Song of Day project, because, dear God, you know?
1: Oh my God, that's a great one. That's much more plausible. Yeah. <laughs> I love it.
0: Yeah. So, anyway, it's... Um, yeah, it's just I I couldn't believe it when you sent that to me. And I, I did mean to respond, but I actually wanted to do it while we were recording.
1: <laughs> Hilarious. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I'm putting it out there. She needs to do a song a day with you.
0: Yeah. Come on, Meryl. Yeah. I'm coming up on 3,000 days on the song a day project. Let's awesome. hook up for that, Amazing. you know. Yes. Um, anyway. So uh, let's see. I'm looking at uh, do we want to talk about. Do we want to talk about the awards stuff yet? Do you have anything else you want to say about this movie?
1: Oh, well, let's stick into awards.
0: Well, actually, I didn't ask you yet for a favorite scene from this movie. Do you I have a, like, one in mind?
1: Thing. It's definitely the oh. scene where she fires everybody. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: good. Yeah. It's just, oh, she's so good. Okay, so, like I said, she was nominated for a Golden Globe Academy Award and a Screen Actors Guild Award. Um, it was a big year. American Beauty was a big year you know it was a big one that year it won a bunch of stuff um hillary swank won that year for boys don't cry which was her first of the two that she's won so the rest of the category was meryl julianne moore for the end of the affair janet mcteer for tumbleweeds and annette benning for american beauty that's at the academy awards it's almost the same category uh, or almost the same pool of nominees at the golden globes Um, There are more nominees because uh, it's the drama and comedy categories. So actually Janet McTeer is bumped from the drama category over to the comedy side, which she actually won. Mm -hmm. So then in the drama side, she's replaced with Sigourney Weaver in A Map of the World. Have you ever seen that movie, A Map of the World? Mm -mm. It's really heavy. But Sigourney Weaver is really, really good in it.
1: She's amazing. I also have never seen Tumbleweeds. I remember that, but I, I didn't see it.
0: Tumbleweeds is really good too. Janet McTier is, is so underappreciated. It was cool to see her kind of, um, get like a lead in a movie, you know, at that time. The, um, the category is the same pool of nominees, from the Oscars at the Screen Actors, the only difference was instead of uh, Hillary Swank winning, Annette Benning won for American Beauty. That year was really kind of like a, a toss up between the two of them. Like they were, you know, one would win one, another would win the other. So I remember thinking Annette Benning was a shoe in and it was a little surprised that Hillary Swank won that year at the Oscars. Although I don't think I'd actually seen Boys Don't Cry um, mm-hmm. and I had seen American Beauty. Um, I've seen it since but I hadn't seen it at the time yeah
1: so. yeah it was pretty it was pretty astounding that performance yep
0: yeah. Hillary Swank wouldn't be a bad uh, six degrees person for us one of these times it too is. actually
1: yeah most definitely
0: um do you happen to have your uh lists available
1: I will pull them up right now
0: while you're doing that I've I've preset mine so I'll, I'll say one yeah. are minor will give Go you a moment it. um For the Merrill performances, I put Music of the Heart at 15 out of... This is uh, number 35. We're getting through these now. I put it 15 out of 35. So it's in between Doubt is right above it, and I put it above It's Complicated. Um, I also placed... Because uh, we didn't we didn't really place first. Do no harm. I put first. Do no harm. Her performance a little lower at twenty seven. Um, it's a it's ahead of still of the night, but behind heartburn. Um, and then in terms of the overall movies, I put. Uh, This one, Music of the Heart, down at 20 after the Manchurian Candidate. So it's in between Manchurian Candidate and Death Becomes Her. And um, again, I put First Do No Harm a little bit lower at 30 out of 35 um, behind Mamma Mia 2 and ahead of She Devil.
1: Hmm, (laughs) Where would I put this? I mean, there are some performances that I just love, but that are quite short, like Mamma Mia 2.
0: Although, you know, we both have that one. High. She's just. She's so good in that one scene. So
1: good in it. She really, really. She is.
0: managed to be the heart of that movie in one scene.
1: I think I might put this at fifth, at sixteen between Silkwood and Into the Woods, performance-wise. Yeah, I feel good about that. I think I'm gonna put this one a little lower. I'm gonna put this at twenty-three between Death Becomes Her and Defending Your Life. You happen
0: to uh, have placements for, just for completion's sake,
1: yeah. uh, First Do No Harm. First Do No Harm. I think I'm going to put First Do No Harm down. It's funny because, like, First Do No Harm is probably a better movie than Ricky in the Flash, but I like her performance in Ricky and the Flash better, you know? Yeah. Where did you put it?
0: I put it kind of low. I put it 30 out of 35.
1: For performances?
0: No, for performances, um, I have it higher, sorry. Uh, Performances, I have it at 27, so I guess not that much higher.
1: Yeah, I'm going to put it at 25 between Doubt and She-Devil. And then movie-wise, I'm going to put it at 28 between Heartburn and Ricky and the Flash.
0: Why Ricky and the Flash gets no love from us, does it?
1: I know, it really wasn't very good. (laughs) There's like five movies that just aren't good. I have Julia ranked kind of low on the movies, which surprises me.
0: Another what we were talking, I don't know if it was a couple episodes ago now about how fun it would be to like, at the, when we're done with all of this, go through and like find the one with the most disparity between our scores, you know, yeah. who ranked higher. Another one that's got some significant difference between us, just, you know, based on the eye test, I'm sure there are other ones too, is the, is the, the laundromat actually. I like yeah. that one way more than you do.
1: Yeah, I've got it down at 25 on my list. Where is it on yeah. yours?
0: I, I just closed mine. So it's high. It's it's like probably like 12 or 15 or somewhere in there. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, I'm really interested to revisit. I also want to at some point revisit the post. I was so moved by it at the time that it remains in my top performance. And I really would like to revisit that at some point. <laughs> Yeah, like this. This is this true, or was I just so moved?
0: I I went to see it a couple times in the theater, and I have watched it. I think one time on DVD since then, and for me, it holds up every time. But it's been a while now since I've. It's another one that seems like it wasn't that long ago, and yet that was probably two years ago now.
1: I know it's crazy. I, I still have the hours in number one. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: the, I was watching an <laughs> episode and 30 rock is another one that I keep kind of going back to, uh, in these COVID times, you know, do you remember the joke they make about the hours in 30 rock? No. What is it? You know, her, she, Tina Fey has this awful boyfriend named Dennis, who yes. she's like, constantly kind of drawn back to, and <laughs> they meet at uh, a showing of the hours because they both make the same derogatory joke about it. they they both are tired from the movie and, and say to their friends, they're sitting a row apart and they turn to each other, to their friends and go, why is this movie called the hours? It should be called the weeks.
1: <laughs> and then they hear the
0: other one say, make the same joke. So that's how they meet.
1: That's amazing. I love so that.
0: It's, it's a good, it's a good rewatch during uh COVID lockdown. I will say it's, it's, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to our other segments. Do you have a preference between uh, six degrees and movies? Meryl was almost in. Um, or movies we wish Meryl was in,
1: rather. I know, right? Um, let's do movies we wish Meryl was in, even though I don't have one. Yet. <laughs> I
0: always try to have a connection to the current movie, and so I was thinking of. We talk a lot and have talked a lot, although not not that much recently. But you know, we've talked about the various genres that Meryl has been in and those that she has like kind of purposely avoided and you know Wes Craven is primarily known as a horror director which I would say is kind of the one remaining genre in a way that she hasn't really touched at all like the closest she's ever really come is maybe still of the night has that like I don't know suspense like Hitchcocky kind of thing it's definitely not horror though no so um, I was thinking of, I couldn't think of another like Wes Craven movie, but I did think of, I don't know if you saw the recent reboot of Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis, but I, I thought that might be kind of fun.
1: Oh, that would be cool. I would like to see her do horror. I would also like to see her do action. You know what a good one for her to be in? Something akin to Red and that franchise? That'd be
0: fun. Yeah, cool. Very actiony okay. and. Kind of diverse uh, age cast, you know, kind of yeah. covers a lot of ground.
1: And our six degrees of separation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, would you like to tell tell people who it is?
0: <laughs> yeah. So here's what happened, folks. Um, we can't remember which probably seems ridiculous because we've been doing a bunch of these but actually I think that's the reason why is because we've gone through a bunch of these within like a short period of time so I think that's why we can't remember Um, so we think we remember who we said in the last episode which we think it was Taryn Edgerton but I have not yet edited as we're recording this I have not yet edited our previous episode so I have to go back and listen to it while I'm editing it so in other words, if I if I have missed, if we have said somebody that we're not doing today, we will go back to whoever that person is. But we're going to do Taron Egerton today because we think that's who we said. <laughs> so weird explanation. Sorry, folks. Trying to keep it together. For a long time, we couldn't remember because there was it was like weeks and sometimes months between recordings. Now it's like who did we say when we you know recorded two days ago and. We can't remember because we've done a bunch of that over the last week or two. So
1: Pepper old.
0: Yeah, that too. <laughs>
1: um,
0: so Taryn Edgerton, anybody Anything leap to mind?
1: Yeah, I mean, I went for the low hanging fruit. So the Kingsmen with Colin Firth, who is also in both Mamma Mia's.
0: Ah, if that was off. also mine. That was yeah. also mine, but I forgot about the Colin Firth connection. I knew she was in something with him, and I couldn't remember what it was. I was thinking in the second Kingsman of Julianne Moore, who was in The Hours with her, and also Jeff Bridges, who was in The Giver.
1: Oh, that's a very good one.
0: That's so. so it's all the same movie, though.
1: Yeah, but those are uh, those are a little bit harder connections. I went. Yeah obvious choice.
0: I'm sure, well, no, I, like I said, I remembered Colin Firth and I thought, well, I think there's something there, but I couldn't remember what it was. Um, but neither here nor there. Um, I did want to point out that in Taryn Edgerton's uh, upcoming movies, do you see okay. that he's signed on to do a remake of Little Shop of Horrors, that he's playing Seymour and a musical version of Little Shop of Horrors?
1: Wait, wait, he's the one who got cast as Seymour because the last uh, time I Everyone was like, "Who's it going to be?"
0: According to IMDb, it's him and Scarlett Johansson is Audrey, which maybe a little bit on the nose. Chris Evans is in the movie, which weren't we just talking about him in, in a musical?
1: Yes, yes, he was like super defensive about it. Oh, he's rumored to be the dentist,
0: which is kind of a fun cameo. Uh, Steve Martin did that cameo in in the one in the mid 80s with Rick Moranis. That's a fun little part because it's basically just one scene. You get to like, you know, just come in, steal some laughs and get out, which is always kind of a fun role. The interesting thing, I think, uh, out of all of that is Billy Porter has been cast as the voice of Audrey too. it looks like.
1: That's amazing. Okay, I recently saw it off Broadway with Jonathan Groff and Christian Borle. And um, it was... Just so much fun. They did it. Um, they did it at the West Side Theater, which is really small. I think it sits two hundred people, and um, the set was so simple. And you could tell that the actors just love the show, and so mm-hmm. it had a it had a backyard musical feel to it just really well done in a very classic way, not rethinking the piece really, but just having fun with it. And it's it's one of the most fun experience. I'm not, I love Little Shop of Horrors, but I'm not obsessed with it by any means. I find the music very catchy and enjoyable and I like the show and I'm, you know, it's fine. Um, but it was one of the most enjoyable theater experiences I've had. Nice. Pure fun.
0: Yeah. It is yep. it is a really fun show. Uh, yep. Like I think it's hard to uh, to not enjoy it. Although not not difficult to uh, screw up that show. So I hope I hope they're careful with the movie, and I hope they don't overthink the movie because really, like, it's kind of what you were just saying in a way. Like simplicity is really what it's about. Like mm-hmm. I don't think it does it any any favors to like go too big with it. So I hope they kind of I don't know. I hope they do. <laughs> I hope they're smart about it, but. They know more about making movies than I do. Nobody ever asks me my opinion on these things, Meryl. I, I give it away on this show, but they don't yeah. consult me. So yeah.
1: me either. Shocking.
0: I it's it's like <laughs> we're not executives or something. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Um well we did it, Meryl. We did it. We did our COVID challenge. So um I I didn't clear this with you ahead of time so our next episode will probably take a couple weeks off now to watch some Angela Bassett movies um, I've already started I've watched a few things Um it may be a couple weeks before we're back but it'll take you all a few weeks probably to go through the episodes that we've just dropped in your lap this week too so it's probably okay by you um, but we'll come back with the tribute episode to Angela Bassett and then we were talking about we're not Locked into this yet, necessarily, but we're thinking of maybe doing another COVID challenge, doing another five, um, and maybe focusing on the 80s movies that we haven't gotten to. There are six 80s movies that we haven't gotten to. And uh, so we're thinking about doing five of those and just seeing if we can do it again. It's, yeah. you know, COVID may be the thing that actually makes us get through all of these movies. <laughs>
1: all right. We're getting it done. We're getting it done.
0: Yeah. So, hopefully hopefully uh you know like i said we're not we're not committing to that in this moment but we'll let you know uh you know based on how our schedules look in a couple weeks um for me i can probably commit to it now because i don't see things changing within the next couple weeks but Uh, we'll assess in a couple weeks yeah um and uh we look forward to being back we're gonna enjoy some angela bassett movies in the meantime we appreciate you all listening and we'll see you soon
1: bye everybody that's all